Amen and amen. Let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and uh, do our scripture reading. Then I'll, I'll let you sit down for uh, our uh, elimination prayer. But let's read this together from uh, Galatians. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Go ahead and be seated. Let's uh, let's pray for illumination this morning. Our Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you for this wonderful book that we have been studying over the last year. And as we come to the last portions of it, Father, I pray that you will once again illumine our hearts and minds, that you will convince us of the beauty of your truth, make us to fall in love with it, not for its own sake, but because it leads us to you, and because you are altogether lovely, you are altogether righteous and holy and beautiful, and Lord, we see you compared to the darkness of the world, and we know that there is hope beyond anything and everything that we experience here. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us this morning as we look into this portion of your word that you will open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say, that, Lord, you will make us not just a church that is interested in having worship services, but, Lord, you will make us a group, a community that wants to be the church, that uh, we will be involved in one another's lives, that we will be invested in one another that we will love one another, welcome one another, bear one another's burdens, as this text talks about today, restoring each other whenever we fall into sin. Lord, help us to have the humility of being part of a community. Help us to have the strength and courage of, of allowing others to be part of this community. And Lord, above all, may we be a community that reflects the love of Christ in everything that we do. And Father, All of that, we ask, that would be to your glory and your honor that we may truly be Christ's body on this earth, doing his will, preaching his word, and showing others how they may know Christ. It is in your name we pray, amen. Amen, well, let's go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter six this morning. We have taken more breaks In the book of Galatians, and probably any other book I've ever preached through, the year has somewhat necessitated that. And so, um, so just to go back, I think it's been uh, I think it's been December since we were in it last, if I'm not mistaken. So it's been a few weeks, and I know uh, I know the remembrance can get a little hazy. So just to just give you a, a quick reminder of of where we've been. And, and kind of what we're ending up on. We've really only got just a few more sermons left in the book of Galatians. It's not gonna take us very much longer uh, to get through the rest of the book. And then uh, I'm trying to see, trying to pray for wisdom of where to go from there. Given all the suffering that we've endured this year, seems like First Peter might be a really good, uh, might be a really good epistle to work our way through and just uh, apply its principles and everything that's going on. 
Um, so, um, so we'll probably have a few uh, quick sermons before that, but, uh, but that's kind of where I'm going. So if you have any input, f- please feel free to, uh, to let me know. But uh, since it's been before Christmas, let me remind you where we've been. In Galatians chapter one, verses six through 10 is kind of the introductory. And uh, the theme there is don't leave the gospel. And that's really the thesis of the book. Don't leave the gospel. And the reason why is because through verses 11 of chapter one through chapter two, verse 14, we find that the gospel, only the gospel can change a life. And we see that from Paul's testimony. He gives kind of his testimonial argument that the gospel is the only thing that could have taken Saul and made him Paul. And the gospel is the only thing that can take a sinner and make him uh, someone who hates God to someone who loves God, from someone who uh, despises God to someone who wants to please God and be with God. And by the way, the gospel is the only thing that can take a sinner who hates the church into someone who loves the church and wants to be here. Uh, you say, well, we have to bring all these attractional things in. We have to bring lights. We have to bring uh, big music. We have to bring fog machines. We have to bring skits and movie clips and all of that stuff in order to attract, in order to attract people to our church. No, we need to get Jesus in their heart, and then they'll be attracted to the church. Amen? Amen. And so if you love Jesus, you will learn to appreciate those things that exalt Jesus, even if it's not your personal taste. And so, um, so anyway, so that's only the gospel can change a life. And then in Galatians chapter two, verses 15 through chapter four, verse 31, it's the theological argument. And that's where Paul says that only the gospel can pronounce us righteous. You know, we can think that we are righteous we can think, other people can think that we are righteous, but at the end of the day, the only one's opinion who matters is God. And only through the gospel are we pronounced righteous. Only the gospel can bring that judgment in our lives. That's the theological argument. And now, in these last few months, we've been in his practical argument. Now, the gospel does pr- uh, pronounce us righteous, but the gospel also produces righteousness. It changes our heart. It changes our lives. It makes us to where we have a new heart and a new spirit within us, and we want to obey God. We want to, we want to obey him from the heart, not just external obedience, but from the heart. And so only the gospel can produce righteousness. We don't produce it by enforcing law and, and setting up a system of punishments and, and uh, rewards for obedience and disobedience and so on and so forth. Only the gospel can produce righteousness. And this is very important because not just any change will do. Uh, you, can, you can take a thief And you can make it to where he doesn't steal anymore. Well, all he is is a con between gigs. But if you take a thief and put Jesus in his heart, he will no longer be a thief. He will be a hard worker who shares with others. That's from Ephesians chapter four. And so, and and we could just go on and on and on with that. 
And so these, uh, these righteousness is still not automatic. We see the instructions that God gives us, and we see that throughout Galatians chapter 5. And you may remember that in Galatians chapter 5, is all about the Holy Spirit, that the one who produces righteousness in us is the Holy Spirit working in us and working through us and working out of us. And so we saw that of five mentions of the Holy Spirit in chapter 5, the main the main command that he gives us is walk by the Spirit. We see that uh, two, maybe even three times, if I recall. Walk by the Spirit. And we saw the, the fruit of the Spirit versus the deeds of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh are what we do when, when uh, we want to obtain the desires of the flesh. Those two are intimately connected. And so from there, we also saw that the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's more, you want to think of it as a harvest of the Spirit, that this is the harvest that God is producing in our lives. You know, the deeds of the flesh, not all of it, we haven't done, none of us have done all of them, but all of us have done some of them, right? And yet with the fruit of the Spirit, it's not a pick and choose kind of thing. These, all of these characteristics are things that the Spirit is producing in our hearts and lives if we are truly in Christ. And so they are both a work of God and they are cultivated by the believer. And the question is, how do we do that? And at the end of chapter five, we see we see it by crucifying the flesh and walking by the Spirit, which is really just another way of saying put off the old person, put off the old nature, and put on the new nature. We see those instructions all the way through the Scriptures. But all of those things we've said so far, you would get the impression that we can do that by ourselves. That we can do that on our own, and we really don't need any outside help beyond ourselves. And, and Paul is going to correct that in chapter 6. And whereas the chapter five is all about the role of the Holy Spirit in the individual, chapter six is all about the role of the community. How does the church play a part in the holiness and the sanctification of each person that comes into the church? That is what we are to be about. That is what keeps me up at night, that, that our people, that Christ's people will be walking in holiness, that they will be sanctified, that they will be like Christ. We don't want, here at Calvary, we don't want to just give you Jesus in a handshake and then you go on and live life as if nothing ever happened. That's not biblical salvation. That's a lie. We don't want to give you that. We want to give you true salvation that results in a change of heart, a change of life, and a change of how we walk. And so what does the church, what role does the church play in that? The Spirit works in our lives. It is the Spirit that is producing holiness in our life, yes, but He works in a context, and the context that he works in is the church. The church is the means. What did Jesus say? He said that go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And so the Spirit, he, he, he is the one who produces holiness, but he does so in the context of the church. 
That's why it was so damaging, I believe, that whenever uh, we started working on Sunday morning as kind, of kind of a tent meeting and it was all about bring your friends so they could get saved. And it was be saved, be saved, be saved, be saved every week. And there was never any instruction. There was never any growth. And once you got Jesus in your heart, really in all honesty, you didn't really need the church anymore. And, and so we wonder why so much, uh, so many have kind of abandoned the church as unnecessary. Uh, and so, no, the church is absolutely necessary to our Christian growth. The community is absolutely necessary to who we are in Christ. And so we're going to see that in this text this morning. We're created for community, beloved. We're created into community. Now, we're not saved by community. Remember, we said that a few weeks ago. We're not saved by community. We're not saved in community, but we are saved for community. We are saved into a community. In fact, Proverbs 18.1, uh, from a negative point of view, points out the danger of avoiding the church. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. Beloved, there is safety in a multitude of counselors, right? And so, yes, we must be part, a living part, an active part of the community of the church. And we're gonna, we're gonna see that in these verses, really verses six, uh, verses one through 10, but we're just gonna be looking at verses one through five this morning. And so how does the church aid and how does the church help our spiritual maturity? Well, he's gonna give us three roles that we have in the community, that the community has in our lives, how Christ helps us to grow. So three instructions to assist one another to spiritual maturity and, and what a healthy, spiritually alive church does. And so number one, we restore one another from sin. We restore one another from sin. Look at verse one. Brethren, now notice he's, he's talking to the saved in the church. He's talking to those who are in the church. We're not, we're not talking about false teachers anymore. We're talking about those who really, in all honesty, how do we react in the context to those who have followed the false teachers and now they, they understand that they have sinned. They understand that they have messed up and so now they're wanting to be back in the church. What do we do? How do we respond to that? But Paul doesn't just uh, put it in that context. He makes it universally vague so that any, in fact, he says here, caught in any trespass, this really corresponds to just about anything that we can think of. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, I wanna stop right there for a moment because I want you to understand, Paul understands that there is a up and down flow to the Christian life. And we all know this, don't we? We all know that we have good days and bad days. We all know that we have times that we are strong against sin and, and we, are, we, are, we are really living for Christ. And then there's other times where we really lose focus and we're not doing as well as we should. We all know that there's an ebb and flow to the Christian life, don't we? I mean, ideally, there shouldn't be, but realistically, we all know that there is. 
And Paul understands that. In fact, Paul talks about his own frustration with trying to follow the gods, follow God in Romans chapter seven. And this is old Paul. This is not young Paul. And so even Paul toward uh, the end of his life, writing in Romans said, the things I want to do, those I don't do, the things that I don't want to do, those things I do. So even Paul is still having this struggle. He understands this. He understands And so the key phrase that we want to look at here, he says, is that if anyone is caught in any trespass, and it gives the idea of surprise, right? That you are caught off guard, that that someone is is taken by sin and by temptation, They, they let their guard down, either through perhaps it was lack of vigilance, perhaps it was through error. Perhaps it was neglect of scripture appetite, scriptural appetite, excuse me. Maybe it was just sheer weakness. Maybe it was vulnerability because of their past sin. Maybe they were flirting with temptation that they believed that they could handle. But whatever it is, the sin has caught them off guard. And in other words, what I want you to understand is that this is not a hardened sinner that Paul's talking about here. This is not the false teachers. This is not someone whose conscience has been seared. This is someone who has fallen into temptation and for all intents and purposes, they did not mean to. But they have fallen into it. Now, of course, none of us really fall unintentionally into sin. I mean, we sin because we want to. I mean, but but you know what I mean, right? That that uh, how many of us, I mean, really, in all honesty, how many of us really think through the consequences of every single thing we do? None of us do, right? How many of us think about uh, the long-term implications of every word we say? None of us do, right? And so, yeah, we, I mean, you, you understand what I'm talking about here. This is the person that is caught off guard. They're in over their head. They've started and now they can't stop. And where do they turn? Beloved, let them turn to the church. Let them turn to the church. Paul directs this to you who are spiritual. You who are spiritual are those who are qualified to assist someone caught up in sin. Now that begs a question, doesn't it? We can come up with all kinds of ideas of what constitutes who's spiritual and who's not. Of course we could do that. I'm spiritual because I attend a small group or I attend Sunday school because I hold to a certain theological system. I'm a Calvinist or I attend a Baptist church or, uh, or you know, you can even say I'm a pastor, therefore automatically I'm spiritual, right? I have advanced theological degrees, so therefore I must be spiritual. I read from the King James, therefore I must be spiritual, Right? <laughs> I read from the New American Standard, therefore I must be spiritual. My name is Art, so I must be spiritual. You know, take your pick. <laughs> we can come up with all kinds of ways that, that we are spiritual, right? So we need to ask ourselves, how is Paul defining this term? And really, in all honesty, I don't think it's any secret. You just need to look at chapter five. Who are those who are spiritual? It is those who walk by the Spirit and who display and are cultivating and are growing in the fruit of the Spirit. That, those are the ones who are spiritual. Those are the ones that Paul's talking about here. 
Put simply, those who is someone who is living out chapter five, they're growing in chapter five. They haven't arrived yet, of course. None of us have, but they're growing. Beloved, there's a difference between being spiritual and being mature. You, you can be spiritual and, and still be growing in your maturity, but you cannot be mature and not be spiritual. And, and Paul is talking to those who are, who, are, who are living out. He just defined what it is, what it is to be spiritual. Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, display the Spirit of the fruit, cultivate those things. And now when you've done those things, what is our role in the church? What do we do? He says to restore them. Interestingly, this is the same word that is used of the disciples that Jesus found while they were mending their net. They were restoring their net. They were, they were bringing it back to proper functioning. They were correcting it. In fact, in secular Greek, it's not used this way in the Bible, but in secular Greek, it was actually a medical term used for setting a bone or setting a dislocated joint or something like that. You see, the church is to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We're to be a hospital that when someone is caught in sin, the first place they ought to know that they can go to is the church to find mercy, to find forgiveness. Those of us who teach and use the word, if we're a Sunday school teacher or, or a father or, or a mother or a pastor or a deacon, those of us who use and teach the word, we are physicians of the soul. We're to use the scriptures as a scalpel to help people grow in Christ, cut out sin and become mature in Jesus Christ and set them free. And so we need to do that harshly, right? We need to, we need to be looking at them all the time. And, uh, and just like the Pharisees in the field, you know, hey, 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 you know, have our, have, our, have our eyes on everybody every time, right? Is that what Paul, is that what Paul means? No, no, that's legalism. Instead, how are we to do it? Just very quickly, he gives us two ways. Number one, we're to restore gently. He says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. This is actually one of the fruits of the spirit mentioned above. Gentleness, right? And beloved, that is the primary fruit of the spirit that we are gonna need whenever we are helping someone who is struggling with sin in their lives. Trust me, when you're working with someone who's struggling with addiction, especially, struggling with uh, issues that are involved in marriage, struggling with kids, all those kind of things, trust me, there's a lot of gentleness that has to be involved. A lot of gentleness. So a spiritual person is not gonna try to solve issues with harshness, harsh words, judgmentalism. You could even say holier than thou, attitudes. There's, there's no place for that here. There's no place for that in the restoration of a sinner. This, this person needs gentleness. They need patience. They need goodness. Most of all, they need love. A person who is walking by the Spirit will have the necessary gentleness. And, and, how, and how are they to do it? They are to restore carefully. Each person knows, a person who is spiritual knows how easy it is to fall into temptation. How easy it is. He says, 
He says, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. There is an absolute must of watching ourselves, making sure that we're not falling into temptation. Be it the same temptation or a different one. This is a time that is absolutely crucial. And those who are spiritual will have the wisdom to do this. They will have the wisdom. We need to make sure that we're taking the log out of our own eye before we go to help someone who has a speck in their eye. So some things you might ask, am I confronting this person because I'm mad or angry? Do I genuinely have a heart to see this person conform to the image of Christ? Has this person actually done something wrong or is it something that I'm just not particularly fond of but it's not necessarily a sin issue? You know, most church splits are over stuff that are not, have nothing to do with biblical issues whatsoever. It's all preference issues. It's all personality conflicts, stuff like that. Has this person really sinned or is it something else? Here's a question we need to ask. Am I happy that this person has been found doing something wrong? Do you rejoice? Do you have a sense of, of happiness when someone else falls? Beloved, love does not rejoice in evil. Amen? And so I could go on, but there's a second work that is to be done in the church. A second way in which the church assists another in Christ-like maturity, and that is we bear one another's burdens. This is verses two and three. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul says we're to bear one another burdens. Now, he's a little ambiguous here. Uh, what kind of burdens is he talking about? Are, are we, is this just another way of saying verse one? Or, or again, is he talking more widespread? Is he talking more uh, universal? Uh, the immediate context would suggest that the burdens that he's referring to is the, is the person who is caught up in sin, the sin that they are caught up in. That's what the immediate context would suggest. But Paul is ambiguous enough here that I don't think it really only means that. I think that we could talk about all kinds of burdens. There's, there's no indication in all of Scripture that the word burden is a, is a, is a synonym for sin. And so I think Paul is specifically, yes, we could be referring to the sin that someone is caught in, but I think he's also being universal that any burden in which anyone finds themselves in, it could refer to something that comes up in someone's life that is especially oppressive or hard to handle, which is what that word burden means. We're talking about a heavy weight here, something that cannot be carried on its own. It could be temptations that someone is especially vulnerable to. It could be financial hardship. It could be responding to a crisis in life. It could be excessive sorrow, worry, doubt, failure, illness, divorce, depression. Or it could, it could be something as regular as the mission of the church. One another's sanctification. Paul, in talking about the daily pressures that are on him in 2 Corinthians, he says in verse 28, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It could simply be the, the, uh, the burden that we are invested in one another and we want to see one another grow in Jesus Christ. It, it could be that burden. It's intentionally vague 
And it really cannot be referring to one thing. We come to them and we help them bear and carry their burden. Many of you may not know this, but about, uh, about five months ago, I joined uh, a, a CrossFit class. And uh, I've been going there now for about five months. And I'm just gonna tell you guys, that stuff is hard. And I don't mind that I'm about to lose a couple of stamps off my man card here. The first few workouts, I came home and bawled like a baby. I, I was, it hurt so bad. And you know, and the thing is, is, is that it's amazing. Uh, when I first got there, I, they said, okay, you know, uh, you need to grab a dumbbell and a couple of dumbbells or whatever. I said, okay, and I grabbed the 25s, right? Because I can, I can lift 25 pretty easy. And they're like, no, 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 no. They gave me eight. I was like, dude, you, you can't be serious. No, trust me. Guys, by the end of that class, I couldn't lift the eights. Because the longer and the harder you're working with it, the heavier they got, right? And that's the way burdens are. The, the longer you carry them, the heavier they get. The heavier they get. And the church is called to come and help, come alongside and help carry the burdens of someone who is carrying it, some kind of crisis or, or some kind of oppressive thing that's happening in their life. And so why do we do this? Well, for a couple reasons. Number one, because it fulfills the law of Christ. It fulfills the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That word thereby actually means in this manner. It's, it's in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, Paul has spent the entire book of Galatians telling us that we're not under the law, right? But don't misunderstand that because it's not that we're not under any law. It's that we're not under the Old Testament law. We're not under the Torah but we are under the law of God. We are under the law of Christ as we see specifically here. And the question is then, what is that law? And the closest parallel we have to it is, is in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter nine. But I actually don't think we need to even go that far. Look just a few verses above. Look in verses 13 and 14 of Galatians chapter five. He says, you're called to freedom, but do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you remember what Jesus said in, in John chapter 13 and uh, John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35? He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So also you are to love one another. And he goes on and says, by this, all people will know you are my disciples. It's amazing how this verse never comes up in evangelism conferences. How, what our best effective evangelistic tool is not the newest, latest, and greatest evangelism outline. It's that we love each other. That is what will grow. That is what will bring people in. That is what will attract them to Jesus' love, right? Love in the community. So in other words, this is how we fulfill God's command, Christ's command to love one another as he has loved us. How? By serving one another just as Christ served us. 
Beloved, when someone has a huge burden in their lives that is weighing them down, the church doesn't run to avoid them. We run to them. We run to them. We pursue one another the way that Christ pursued us. He left heaven and earth to pursue us. Can we not leave our comfort zone? Can we not leave our homes? Can we not leave the, the, the four walls of this room in order to love others? It fulfills the law of Christ, but it also avoids self-deception. Look what he says in verse three. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That seems kind of like a strange thing to say here. But the point here is this, is that these excessive weights that come in our lives, these burdens, they are universal. Every one of us will face them. This will come to everyone. You will, we will face some kind of hardship in our lives, some kind of trial. And this is why the church exists. This is why, this is how the body of Christ functions. We carry one another's burdens. Christ carries our burdens, yes. As a matter of fact, he carried our biggest burden of all. He carried our sin and punishment to the cross. He paid our penalty before God. He suffered the wrath of God. He drank the cup of God's wrath, carrying our biggest burden of all to the cross. Yes, he also invites us to cast our cares upon him, cast our burdens, lay our burdens down at his feet. And yet part of the design that we are Christ-like is that in a smaller way, we do the same for one another. We help carry one another's burdens. Some may do it by prayer, calling someone up and praying with them, or maybe taking them out to lunch and praying with them. Others may come alongside them and just listen, offer hugs, sympathy, or especially someone who's fallen into sin, offer mercy. Some may offer an appropriate Christian book. By the way, we have that display back there. That's one of the reasons we have it is, is so that we can, we can function as a church in this way to put a tool in your hand so that you can help someone who may be struggling with something like that or, or you yourself may be struggling with some of those issues. That's why we have that display of little books out there is so that that's a, that's a tool for you to use. Maybe it's helping in practical ways, cleaning their house, Caring or watching for their pets, bringing over a meal, a meal to share or a box of groceries. And by the way, if we have a heavy load in our lives, be willing to let others do this for us. I think that's part of that self-deception. Be willing to let others do the, these kinds of things for us. It can be hard to be vulnerable with other people, can't it? Of course it can. So the community gives us a safe place to do that. Beloved, be not deceived. Burdens will come. You know, but when there are two or three to carry it with you, it, it seems a little lighter, doesn't it? When you have an Aaron and a Her to help you lift your arms up in the midst of the battle, it just seems a little lighter. Seems a little more workable. The church and the community helps us, restoring us from sin and bearing one another's burdens. 
But the church also provides us with a safe place that we can examine ourselves humbly. Examine ourselves humbly, verses four and five. And I'm not gonna spend as much time on these verses. But each one must examine his own work. Then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone. Uh, for, in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each man must bear his own burden. Beloved, the, commu- the community is not just a place to focus on others' needs, but it also provides us with a place that we can honestly examine ourselves, that we can ask ourselves hard questions. And, and when we do that, it enables us to rejoice in Christ. And it enables us to rejoice in Christ. Paul, Paul here refers to it as boasting, right? And when we hear boasting today, what do we think of? Right? We think of negative, right? We think of, uh, of uh, Kanye West or Muhammad Ali or, or something like that, right? You know, I'm the greatest in the world or whatever. But, but that's not exactly what Paul's talking about here. It's, it's, you might think of it as rejoicing. It, it's a proper boasting, it's boasting in the fact that we know the Lord. Think rejoicing like, like for example, uh, when my kids do something uh, really good. Uh, one of my daughters, uh, actually I think both my daughters brought home uh, straight A's on their report card, right? And yes, I am boasting about that, right? I'm boasting about my kids' accomplishments. And, and that's, not a, that's not a prideful thing in the sinful sense, but it's a prideful thing in that I am rejoicing with my kid and I want you to rejoice with me, right? And so, and that's what Paul's talking about here. So that we may boast, that we may rejoice in the Lord, that we may, that we may boast in him and what he's doing through us. We revel in the grace of God. And as we come face to face, honestly with our, with our, with ourselves, we don't just find sin and things to grow from, but we also find the way that God has moved us, that he has grown us and he has moved us more toward himself. We find the ways that he has worked in our lives, the ways that he has gifted us, the way that he has grown us, a burden we had a year ago that we thought we'd never get through, but now I'm so much closer to Christ because of it. And we rejoice in these things. We find ways that we need to grow and mature more. And we seek out the people in the church who can help us do that, a small group or a Sunday school class. Every milestone, every victory over sin, every way in which we see God work leads us to more and more rejoicing in him. And examining ourselves also helps us to fulfill our calling. This almost sounds like a contradiction, for each one must bear his own load. It's not really a contradiction, it's a different word that's used here. The word load means cargo, and it speaks of cargo or something that you carry a backpack on your back, like you guys in the military when you used to carry your rucksack on your back or those kinds of things. That's what it's referring to. In other words, we will give an answer to Christ. We will give an answer. Notice the future tense there. We will bear our load. We will give an answer to how we carried the load that God gave to us. We will give an answer to how we have lived the life that God has given to us? Have we done it in Christ-like ways? Or did we use them as an excuse to sin and walk away from God? We will each give an account. And it's good for us to examine these things from time to time. Ask others for help in doing this. Hey, this happened yesterday and I I responded this way. Do Do you think maybe there's a better way that I might have handled that? 
Hey, I, you know, I, is there a more Christ-like way I might have responded to my boss at work? Do you think, you know, I said this, do you, do you think that was, do you think that was Christ-like or could I have done that better? Beloved, the church is the place, the community is the place that we can ask those kinds of questions without fear of judgmentalism, without fear of being cast out, without fear of all the things that we typically are afraid of, and so we stay silent. The church is a place that's a safe place. I am absolutely convinced of the idea of covenant. I believe it is the, the way in which we understand how the scriptures work together. I am, I am sold out in Baptist covenant theology. I believe that covenant is the way that God establishes his kingdom and how he becomes, how he becomes our God and we become his people. I'm absolutely convinced. And I love that concept, covenant, because it's such a powerful covenant. It's such a powerful concept, excuse me. Because, for instance, marriage, when you make that commitment together, you're free to learn. You're free to make mistakes. You're free to grow in a way that you're not whenever you're just dating, right? Whenever you come to a covenant community, this community is covenanted together. And we are free to learn. We are free to grow. We are free to make mistakes. We are free to do good. We're free to do bad. We mourn together. We rejoice together. We laugh together. We cry together. All of these things we do because we are a covenant community. And when we come here, it is a safe place for God to grow us. Amen? And we don't find the judgmentalism of the world. We don't find the rejection of the world. We come in and we grow like Christ because we're all in this together, carrying one another up the ladder to Christ-like maturity. That's why I often call us a covenant community. We've lost that concept in our American business-like model of the church today. I think we need to claim it back. Love it, we're not an organization. We are a covenanted community bonded together by something much stronger. Bonded together by Christ. So Paul says, examine our work. The church allows us to do this. It's a place where we can be completely and totally honest with ourselves, both to ourselves and others so that we may seek out true biblical growth. Isn't that the kind of community you want to be a part of? Isn't that the kind of people you want to belong to? I know I do. That's what Christ has given us. Sigmund Freud, no friend to Christianity, said in one of his later works, he said that I wish that I could create a a group of people where everyone who comes is broken and struggling and they can come together and they can find acceptance and peace with one another and they can assist one another in, in overcoming the, the trials and situations and problems that they're facing. He said that in one of his later works. You know, it's a shame because the very thing he spent his entire life trying to destroy was the very thing he was longing for at the end of his life. Beloved, that's the church. That's the church. And I want you to know, I'm, I'm just gonna tell you this, I love each and every one of you. Yeah, I preach longer than you want me to. 
But I love each and every one of you. And I want you to know that any struggle you have, any problem you have, I am here and you will find no judgment. You will find no intolerance. You will only find mercy, love, and support and instruction to bring it the other way. And I hope that you have someone in this church. I know not everybody's as close to me as they are to others. I hope you have someone in this church that is that to you. And if you don't have one, I pray you'll find one. Because that's what the church is about. That's what we are. It's not about committees and business meetings. It's about bearing with one another, restoring one another, and walking with one another in this Christian life. Isn't that what we want? I think it is. It's what I want. That's what I want to lead us to be. Father, we thank you for your instructions in this word. I I pray that this will become more and more of reality, but Lord, we know and we understand that it cannot happen without Christ. And if there's one here this morning, as I look out, I'm, I've, I've heard testimonies of just about all of, all of those who are here. Father, if there's one here who doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day that they draw you to yourself, that you would draw them to yourself, excuse me. Lord, I pray that they would know you and love you. I pray that they would be saved so that they can find their rest, their comfort, and their community at Calvary Baptist Church. And maybe there's someone here this morning who has not been growing in Christ and they're asking what is the missing ingredient. Father, maybe it is the church. Maybe they have not, maybe they need to make a commitment to the church. Maybe they need to submit to membership. Maybe they need to be baptized. Whatever it is, I pray you would do your work in each and every one of our hearts. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing this final song. Blessed be the tie that binds.